0: Yeah, I don't think it's any secret, I'm a bit of a fan of Maze Rats, Dave. But this King of Dungeons, you're putting out episode after episode talking about it and every time there's a little something that really catches my imagination. This idea of healing potions with addiction and overdose, that sounds pretty, uh, pretty interesting. I mean, you might need to be a little bit careful, I guess. Um, could be a bit of a hot topic. But still, very interesting innovation, I think, is the word I want to use there. And, yeah, it is surprising. You you mentioned a few of the systems and the rules that seem at odds with each other. But guess guess you need to see how that works out in play. But looking forward to getting involved. Dave, we started there with a call in from Colin, the legendary spike pit. We've been extolling some of the virtues of maze rats in earlier episodes, and Colin, it's very good to hear that you're excited about our upcoming foray into King of Dungeons. Alright, so I've finished my King of Dungeons reviews. But I'm not finished with King of Dungeons yet, because I'm now excited about getting a campaign started, or the beginnings of a campaign. I think I've got a group together for a few Roll20 sessions uh, online, so now I'm thinking about what I want to do in terms of setting and available player cultures. I think I'm going to stay quite close to the implied setting for King of Dungeons. As I say, there isn't really much in the way of world information. What Baz gives you is a very particular campaign structure around the guilds, And then the idea is that this structure will fit into pretty much whatever setting or game world you want, uh, providing you're happy to accommodate that core conceit that adventuring parties are a reality in the setting, they have rivalries with each other and and can over time become really quite um, significant entities in the game world. Uh, but as I've said before, King of Dungeons really is written with the assumption that experienced GMs are going to start tweaking a setting as soon as they get it mm-hmm. and may well have their own in-house setting or be looking to do a kind of kit bash with their favourite fantasy world uh, so he just doesn't waste any time giving you that. There are some nice elements that I really like, Um, so firearms are just a given, as I've said before, weapons are treated in such an abstract way that really don't need any complex firearms rules, so if you want muskets and pistols they're already there, Uh, Baz makes mention of them. I really like that because I, 13th age, didn't do weapons in quite such an abstract way and didn't have firearms as standard, and I mucked around with a few different possibilities for doing firearms, but I just like the fact that that, um, Baz happily hand waves any of the stuff to do with reloading um, I mean any, any, any tweaks you want around firearms you're free of course to add as, as narrative elements of your of your game world. But I'm going to jump off from that inclusion of firearms and say that the the setting where I want to run King of Dungeons is going to be an industrial revolution setting. I want at least the, the characters to start off in a smog filled industrial city uh, with an almost Victorian flavour, I think. So I'm going to be influenced a bit there by some of the Assassin's Creed computer games. I'm thinking of the one. I can't remember the name of them. There's one set in sort of Victorian London. There's another one, I think it's Rogue, that has a Gangs of New York type feel. And I think that'll be a really nice and distinctive kind of flavour. Other things which I'm going I'm to cite as influences... Um, Baz mentioned Scott Lynch's Gentleman Bastards series as an influence for King of Dungeons. Jeff, Definitely, there will be a, a little bit of that in there. I'm also thinking a little bit of Lankmar will probably be in there. And then some other video game franchises that I really like are Thief and Dishonored, which both have a kind of uh, firearms and swords type feel. Actually Thief doesn't have any firearms, it doesn't have a Victorian setting, it's more of a sort of 1920s 30s setting, some of the technology but then it's, it's deliberately regressive in terms of avail- available weapons. Uh, but I like that, something a little bit um, maybe a little bit anachronistic in terms of your regular fantasy setting so I'm bringing it up to uh, an industrial revolution type time frame. Um, and then I'm going to have Probably two fantastical technologies, so i 'm going to have a, a, a heavy sort of clockwork flavor and i 'm going to say that clockwork is an ancient technology in this setting which is being rediscovered and it 's partly the the rediscovery of this ancient technology, which is making possible this industrial revolution, um, but that will that will um, make way for all sorts of just sort of massive scale i'm imagining massive scale factories with fantastically large gears and machinery for the for the characters to get uh, to get into trouble in amongst um and then i'm going to have another ancient technology uh, and this is ripped straight from Uh, Lynch's Gentleman Bastards* series. I'm going to refer to elves in the setting but there are no elves anymore. Elves are uh, an ancient lost race uh, who are responsible for having built the various fantastical ruins from Moonsilver and having left these very strange uh, magical artefacts but they no longer exist so they're known only by their legacy. I've talked about uh, cultures in King of Dungeons before but before I say uh, any more about the the six playable cultures that I'm going to offer I'm going to say a little bit more about how Baz treats uh, player races in King of Dungeons as I say he renames them cultures and then treats them I think in a very modern way in that As a flavour decision, and for neatness I think, he aligns each one of his six available cultures with one of the core attributes. Um, But this alignment has absolutely no mechanical effect, even with classes. The classes' um, affiliation with a particular attribute kicks in when you're making guild rolls, and if you don't have the right class for that particular attribute roll, you roll at disadvantage. Um, But the culture's affinities with the abilities uh, have absolutely no mechanical effect. So um, so you're free to ignore them, basically, and that's what Baz says. Um, so the way I'm going to treat, uh, I think I'm going to keep that decision. I'm going to keep, I'm going to have six races and I'm going to align each of them with the six attributes. But uh, the way I'm going to explain that to my players is these are affiliations that other creatures in the in the in the setting see that particular culture as having but of course as Baz says players can then design their design their character uh, with that with that affiliation in mind or they're free to discard it and, and play against type uh, because it has no medical, mechanical mechanical um, bearing um, players choose Uh, They choose all of their attribute modifiers from an an array. Um, It really is just there for flavour. The other thing that means, Baz says, is, of course, these don't have to... They happen for Baz to be pretty standard fantasy races, but they don't need to be. These could be um, available cultures in your game world there could be a range of human cultures or they could be ignored completely and they would have no uh, that would have no bearing on the game experience this encourages me a bit in terms of homebrew when i get a new game i tend to like to play it pretty much as written at least in the early stages so i'm playing a fairly recognizable version of the game and i can talk to other people about its strengths and weaknesses Um, but the cultures seem immediately homebrewable and hackable uh, without any effect on the on the gameplay experience, as I say, because players are free to ignore those affinities. So, having then dealt with races, as I say, which he rename, renames cultures in a fairly modern way, I think Baz is then reasonably traditional about the the range of races that he offers. So, he offers humans, elves, dwarves. Infernals and Draconics. Those are five of them, and they're pretty recognisable from... I think that's the route that Thirteenth Age takes. It's a pretty fourth edition-type selection. I approve of one substitution that Baz makes. You don't have halflings here. He's given you goblins instead, which he says are the sort of standard ratty, pointy-toothed types. Um, I don't think... unless you're playing a Middle-earth game, a Lord of the Rings style game, I don't think halflings add very much to Dungeons and Dragons and I tend to always swap them out for ratfolk or goblins, so I approve of of that decision. Um, but they 're pretty pretty recognizable as the standard fancy races. I think he 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 tries to give each of them a, a little bit of a quirky flavor um, but in general that 's not the selection that I will go with i 'm going to try for something which is fairly fantastical, but I want my uh, I want my available player cultures to be not, not the standard fancy races. And even when they look like they might be the standard fantasy races, I, I want them to have um, quite a different flavour. Influenced, I think, uh, a bit by a, by a Victorian literary aesthetic or a folk English aesthetic. One culture that didn't quite make the grade, I really like my... Black Powder, Clockwork, Steampunk, Elements. So I umdenard around Mechanical People, Clockwork People. Um, I think these are going to be rare antagonists and NPCs in the setting, so they will exist, but they won't be available as player cultures. If the players um, really, really want to play uh, a Clockwork or Mechanical person, then fine, as I say, they it doesn't have that much... Um, Bearing in terms of the rules, so I'll allow that, but definitely I would be thinking maybe less in terms of war forged and more in terms of of TikTok from the return return to Oz. I really like the way that Shadow the Demon Lord dealt with clockwork or mechanical people. I think they actually have inaccessible keys somewhere on their person which are prone to winding down at critical points. But uh, clockwork people nearly made the grade. they will be in the world, but they won 't be a starting player culture all right, so starting with the culture that i 've loosely aligned with strength, the sovereign 's capital this this Huge industrial city where I'm going to start the campaign uh, is a significant naval power and stretches all the way to the sea. So, I want an aquatic culture. Don't really want merfolk or sea elves. So, what I've gone with is crab folk or barnacles, as I'm going to alternatively call them. And these are ripped straight from um, a race called the Kraken, unfortunately, named I think um, in the Savage World's Fifty Fathoms setting. Shane Lacey Hensley even says in his introduction that Fifty Fathoms was pretty much invented after a viewing of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean so you're thinking the second Pirates of the Caribbean film, Bill Nighy's uh, Davy Jones character with the tentacled face and the sort of barnacles growing and the the clawed hands Uh, those are the crab folk Uh, the first of my available player races, and I'm offering them as a sort of sturdy, stoic, dryly witty culture. Renowned, as I say, for their strength, but players can can, can choose attributes against type if they wish. All right, then loosely aligned with dexterity, I'm going to keep goblins as they are there in King of Dungeons. But these are goblins construed, as I say, in more of an English folk literature, in more of a Victorian way. So they could be... Pointy toothed and green, but not restrictively so. I've said they could be quite ugly and misshapen, or they could be sort of unsettlingly beautiful. What defines goblins in this setting is that they are a a quite diverse culture who collectively claim some sort of descent from the ancient or alien uh, race of elves. Um, that left their legacy in these in these uh, exotic ruins and magical artifacts across the landscape, so they may be um, generally mistrusted in the setting for their sort of um, magical aura and their association with magic. so I think that gives that gives players that choose the goblin culture quite a bit of range in how they want to construe the appearance and bearing and preoccupations of their character, Um, they can go for your pointy-eared, pointy-toothed, little green people, or they could go for something that might be um, approaching some of the wilder elves of other settings. Alternative names for goblins will be imps or fae. As I say, in general, they will not be inclined to be trusted loosely affiliated with constitution i am going for satyrs and i don't think satyrs are widely enough used in in fantasy games they're there they're a much bigger part of um, certainly of folk fantasy literature than they're given credit for clark ashton smith has a really quite horrific story about a satyr Um, so yes so the satyrs are are pushed out of the woodland groves by the encroachment of civilization i'm saying that they are sort of bristling with savage energy Um, so they are passionate they are artistic they are energetic um, and they are generally affiliated with constitution. Affiliated loosely with intelligence, I am going for gnomes, but these will not be the familiar small race. These will be... uh, they're not particularly small. They are creatures of rock, so they are creatures... We don't exactly know how gnomes are born. They spring from the rock. They are long-lived, and they have a rock-like appearance. So they're more like um, earth elementals. than than the small race that they've become uh, known as in Dungeons and Dragons. And I think that's more fitting, as I say, with this folk English or Victorian aesthetic that I'm going for. All right, and then I'm going to have rat folk because I just love rat folk and they often make their way into my homebrew settings. They're a little bit of a carryover from Lankmar as well into this setting. And I'm going for something different with these rat folk. They're not scaven type rat folk. They will be regarded by the other cultures as filthy and smelly but they are going for um, a kind of wounded Dignity. So the rat folk in this campaign remember when their culture once ruled the world and they long for these days again. And they really are pushing for um, dignity and high standards of etiquette. And I'm really enjoying the idea that there'll be this tension between the way that the, the rat folk see themselves as these inheritors of a noble legacy and the way that other cultures will still tend to turn their noses up at them. The rat folk are loosely affiliated with wisdom. I was thinking there about whiskers, really. I like the idea of the rat folk having a, a a quite advanced scent culture and being empathetic as a result. I am denied with swapping the affiliations between goblins, dexterity, and wisdom between goblins and rat folk, but it doesn't really matter because these affiliations are loose and suggestive only. Finishing then with humans, which Baz affiliates, I think unusually, with charisma. I've explained this in my setting um, in terms of humans being rather full of themselves because of their recent cultural achievements and rediscovery of some, some quite significant technology that's enabling them to massively expand their influence then Baz recommends that you give each culture at least one hook or twist that distinguishes them in the setting I haven't been particularly creative yet with the crab folk but I think they are distinctive just by virtue of being crab folk (laughs) I think that makes them quite appealing and interesting or alternatively particularly unappealing to players but either of those I think is useful. The goblins have got the hook of being um, connected with this lost magical alien race. The satyrs have got the interesting element of their woodland groves being gradually depleted. Gnomes are interesting I think for having these mysterious chthonic origins which I'll encourage Known players to fill in to their taste. They're also the the long-lived culture. The rat, the rat kind. Um, I've given the twist that you know whether the players sign up to this or not, they will be aware of the fact that the rat kind living in the deep ways are just waiting for their chance to strike. And reclaim um, their ancient right over the surface world. This links them a little bit with the Skaven and pulls in a few, a few threads from Lankmar. And then the humans. I've decided that humans, uniquely in my setting, are subject to the lure of the Leviathan, which is this ancient sleeping entity, which the players may decide is important to the aims of their guild or may not Um, but this entity has been long imprisoned in an ice cap and sends out its spirit tentacles to lure humans in their dreams and draw them over to chaos. And I am now well and truly out of time so thank you very much for listening. And, as always, keep rolling on those random tables. You may have noticed this episode had a different theme tune. You'll also notice that some of my episodes from now are going to be marked as 13 Thieves. That's the name of my King of Dungeons campaign. And these will be episodes that will focus either on planning and the setting or on reporting... Play. And I'm very pleased for these episodes to be able to use, by permission, an excerpt from a track by Tim Hayward, who's one of my favourite contemporary electronic composers. He's got a Patreon. You can find his music on Spotify and Bandcamp. Some of it, if you've been video gaming for a few years, you're going to recognise. Um, but he composes in a range of different uh, styles, all of which I really enjoy and I would recommend to you. And thanks again, Tim for the title track.